and the light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more at all. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more at all. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. For by your drug sorcery, all the nations were led astray. Revelation 18, 23. The Unexpected Cosmology, Episode 10, The AIDS Pandemic is a Hoax, Part 2, The Sorcery of Big Pharma Exposed. This is the part where you'll see how the bunny gets pulled from the hat, the pigeon from the sleeve, the woman refitted together, having been divided in two. Perhaps you sat in the audience wowed by the magic. I was too but no longer. If my outing the magician and revealing the trick of the trade offends you, then you are free to continue feeding your energy towards the illusion without so much as paying the sleight of hand any mind. After all, it's what our slave masters expect from you. Your only job is to not realize you're a plantation slave because they would never lie to you about something like that. Just trust the plan, pop your pills, and continue binge-watching their entertainment in the barracoon. Meanwhile, I despise magic and its intended side effects. Yahusha Messiah is soon returning with New Jerusalem, and when he does, every wizard and practitioner of magic is being thrown into the lake of fire. Best to come to terms with that fact now and get your sledgehammers ready, because the entire illusion they've sold to us as some sort of global reality, is coming down. Just so we're clear, the subject of this paper continues where we last left off. The AIDS pandemic is a hoax. We are moving on now to the real causation of AIDS, drugs. Ironically, it's the very thing given when someone is tested positive for the HIV virus, because HIV equals AIDS equals death, except where Big Pharma prolongs life, is the religious line of the land. Actually, the famous kindergarten axiom, liar, liar, pants on fire, fits like a glove here, because if you were paying attention to the scripture verse spoken above, Yohanan has already outed Big Pharma as the sorcery which leads all nations astray. I took the liberty of adding the word drug to sorcery, because the Greek word is pronounced pharmakia. A better translation for witchcraft would be pharmaceuticals. Listen to that again and again and again if necessary. Take all the time you need. To put this in modern terms, if you want to visit your local witch's coven, then open up the yellow pages and seek out the nearest pharmacy, scripturally speaking. Have a headache? They'll make you a potion. Too soon? Probably. But I'm terrible with timing. Rather than actually turning to the yellow pages, because I haven't actually seen one of those in years, perhaps decades, I also checked, they stopped printing them in 2019, I decided to type some random keyword searches into the AI engine while preparing this paper. What I typically found is large gatherings of people, mostly men, inhabiting a world of black and white photography, protesting the fact that the official narrative had scripted far too little research into the AIDS pandemic. 
by which they and many of their friends were reportedly dying of. The general consensus was that they wanted answers from their slave masters, scratch that, elected officials, when the true emotion that many to most were feeling was something akin to hysteria and anger. Actually, there are only two prime emotions, love and fear. If you desire a scripture verse rather than slithery psychology, I've provided one. Once again, it comes from Johannine and reads, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 1 John 4.18 In 1984, it was predicted that 24 million Africans would die within the matter of a few years because of monkeys and the AIDS pandemic. At the time, the population of Africa was just north of 500 million. The year is 2020, and I just checked the current population, 1.3 billion. I'll let you make sense of that math. Remember when spooks had us all thinking that every global coastal city would be submerged sometime in the last decade? They took our money and then bought beachside property. Yeah, this is kind of like that. How tragic. People are easily duped by an ancient battle tactic. And it is this. Our slave masters create the problem, encourage the reaction, as in something must be done about this, and then offer the solution. The three-step approach is best summed up by the Freemason motto, order out of chaos. Create the illusion and then offer any number of ways to restore order, which we have already seen with Larry Kramer pitted against Jerry Fowell's vision for America. Their solution, of course, is pharmaceuticals, hence Revelation 18.23. But here's the problem. AIDS is not a new illness with which humanity is suffering. Contrarily, it is a collection of familiar diseases repackaged into a singular threat and given a fake name. Pneumonia, tuberculosis, diarrhea, cancer. According to the CDC, if a patient is suffering from tuberculosis and is also tested HIV positive, then the illness will be called AIDS. If the person does not test positive for the virus, he will die of tuberculosis. You have just witnessed the sleight of hand. Now we are getting somewhere. Big Farmer actually exposed the sleight of hand a decade before the AIDS pandemic, but very few noticed. The small number of observers negates the point, however, as sadistic wizards outed their operation on purpose. Why would they do that, you ask? Simple. Show people the truth and then tell them to deny it. Calcify their cognition. They do it all the time. It was Voltaire who once quipped, Doctors are men who prescribe medicines of which they know little, to cure diseases of which they know less, and human beings of whom they know nothing. Voltaire was a Freemason. He was buddy-buddy with Grandmaster Benjamin Franklin. They just love to rub these little truths in our faces and then sit back to watch everyone deny it. Sometime in the 60s, Japanese scientists blamed a virus for the sudden outbreak of a new intestinal disorder dubbed SMON or subacute myeloptic neuropathy. It is also listed as a nervous disease affecting the spinal cord, eyes, and peripheral nerves. Technically, SMON was first observed and diagnosed in Sweden in 1966 
by the pediatrician and neurologist Oli Hansen. The disease went on to claim more than 11,000 victims in Japan over a 15-year period. And here is the short of the story. The Tokyo court eventually ruled on August 3, 1978, that the cause of SMON was cleocanol, a drug openly protested by Hansen, and which was distributed by a Swiss multinational company, Siba Gigi. For nearly two decades, doctors treated their patients with the very drug which was causing the illness. This is all dutifully recorded. And in fact, Siba Gigi has publicly stated that medical products manufactured and sold by us have been responsible for the occurrence of SMON in Japan. We extend our apologies. Seems rather cold and apathetic, as apologies go. But there it is. Pharmakia. The drugs were killing them. Amazingly, because sometimes I still manage to shake my head and sigh when connecting the dots, the first weapon employed against HIV wasn't a new compound developed from scratch in the witch's coven too soon, but one that had already been tested and abandoned. The official narrative loves to throw in that part. It was abandoned. Right. The drug has a biography, and here's the short of it. AZT, or azidothibidine, was originally developed by Jerome Philip Horwitz, a Detroit-born Jew. Am I being unfair to the Jews? Don't be silly. I out far more goyim than I do Jews. If you insist on labeling me an anti-Semite, then you might as well handcuff me for anti-goyim tendencies as well. Anyhow, it was the 60s, and he had hoped to synthesize a chemical compound which might thwart cancer. The idea was to suppress the cancer cell and frustrate its ability to replicate within the body. But all it really managed to do was wreck the immune system due to its high toxicity, hence chemotherapy. I am only thinking out loud here, but many cancers are a fungal infection, and there are far more effective ways to combating a shroom than chemo. Killing the disease involves hacking off a poor diet, not one's immune system, but we'll save that rabbit trail for another discussion. Basically, AZT was tested in mice and the mice didn't like it. Probably something to do with weakening their immune system, granting them disease, and then systematically killing them one by one. But that's probably none of my business. We are told that Horwitz made not one penny on his research. Rather, the pharmaceutical company, which sponsored him, decided it might wage a better battle against an upcoming virus. Within a record six months of its eventual release in 1987, AZT sold a hundred times more than the manufacturing cost, making it the most profitable drug of all time. During his 1971 State of the Union address, Richard Nixon declared a war on cancer when he stated, I will also ask for an appropriation of an extra 100 million to launch an intensive campaign to find a cure for cancer. And I will ask later for whatever additional funds can effectively be used. The Citizens Committee for the Conquest of Cancer, led by someone named Mary Lasker, had already compared the number of cancer deaths with the American losses in Vietnam. Nixon preferred to compare U.S. cancer mortality with American troop losses in the war. Interesting propaganda. Eventually, Nixon ran out of funds, and like Ho Chi Minh, cancer won the war. 
Well, technically, Big Pharma won the war via chemotherapy, but misdirection is much more fun. Leave it to empty pockets, but were they ever really empty? For the CDC to discover a new disease which might attract more funding. I have already given away the ending, but here it is again. AZT killed the immune system. AIDS needed a solution. They found it in AZT. Are you not entertained? The idea that disease is caused by a virus was first introduced by Louis Pasteur, a French biologist. This material has already been covered in Germ Theory is a Hoax and will not be repeated here. We are simply retracing our steps. Fast forward a hundred years or so to the 80s and it was Dr. Robert Gallo, a researcher employed by the National Institute of Health, who would add to the illusion by introducing the world to the concept that AIDS is caused by a virus. On April 23, 1984, in an international press conference, wink wink, Gallo announced his discovery of a new virus to be the probable cause of AIDS, thereby violating a very simple and straightforward protocol in the scientific community. A researcher must first publish his claim in a medical journal for experts to examine, thereby duplicating the findings with experiments and establishing the hypothesis. The elite often break their own rules. This is one such instance, but more on that in a moment. His hypothesis was announced, the CDC backed him, and no evidence was provided. Typical of a fraud in the making. Kind of like COVID-19. Too soon? Within several days of his media announcement, May 4th to be exact, Gallo and his collaborators published a series of four papers in the scientific journal Science without ever so much as relating the HIV virus to most AIDS patients. A small oversight, I'm sure. Their hope was to demonstrate that a retrovirus called HTLV-3, a virus that Gallo had apparently earlier linked to be the cause of leukemia and which they had claimed to isolate, was now the cause of AIDS. Gallo's newly discovered HIV virus was declared destructive because it attacked the T4 cells, which direct the body's immune system. Bookmark that. Also, Gallo's press conference arrived with a complimentary blood testing kit. Right. How were people tested earlier? Another small oversight, I'm sure. Gallo then put in a patent with the U.S. government only to be accused by a French team of scientists at the Pasteur Institute in Paris, no less, led by Luc Montagnier, of stealing his HIV sample. Do you see what they did there? They just legitimized the seriousness of the virus and the desperate need for its cure while re-energizing everyone's faith in Pasteur's germ theory. Gallo stole something which everyone coveted but only to push the cure forward for the betterment of humanity. In doing so, he solidified the solution. Remember, we are reading from a movie script. There are far too many subplots to cover in this paper, but the point of a psychodrama is to draw from everyone's emotions, cast them as the protagonist in the production, and give them something to survive against. It's all done to mold him, reshape his thinking, cast him into a new image, the beast image, and it's so therapeutic. Something which CIA spook Anton LaVey could agree with. Dangle the HIV test like a carrot just beyond the arm's reach 
and watched them salivate for it. Sometime in 1985, Gallo told the New York Times in a telephone interview that the Pasteur Institute was exaggerating its contributions when he said, we helped them a lot more than they helped us. And besides, Gallo and his team had already countered that they did not use the virus samples they had received from Paris in developing their antibody test. Because of the ensuing fight between French and the American discoverers, the test was delayed by a year. Again, brilliant. Send everyone into a panic over a simple illusion and then milk their dairy. For example, during the 1985 interview, many conservative Americans demanded that homosexuals be quarantined in camps. The rest of America feared that people with the HIV virus would be quarantined in camps. Whatever polarizing position somebody took in the 80s, spooks were undoubtedly whispering into their ears, feeding suggestions. Pick any hoax in any decade. It's like our sadistic slave masters can't stop pitting everyone against each other, then using the media to create the news, scratch that, report on it. They have already taken a magnifying glass to the anthill, but then, just to give an added daily twist to everyone's nipple, they'll parade in the political hounds. Newt Gingrich told the press, We want to identify everybody who's a carrier. We want to identify every possible way to stop them from spreading the disease. Teasing Big Brother through gaslighting techniques is all part of an intel psyop. The CIA-owned media was reading directly from the script when they summed everything up. Patent rights to a procedure for detecting antibodies to the AIDS virus in blood have become both the material and symbolic center of the dispute. In 1987, the international Gallo and Montanier squabble ended in an out-of-court settlement. The details we are given concluded that they would mutually share credit as co-discoverers of HIV and ownership rights of the HIV test. Their overdue compromise finally allowed for the AZT to surface as the first antiretroviral drug for the treatment of AIDS. Solution. This time around, it was FDA approved. <laughs> the FDA is a joke. Almost overnight, it became the most profitable drug of all time. Remember Voltaire and how I told you they show us the truth all the time? Case in point. In 1991, Gallo admitted the virus he claimed to have discovered in 1984 was in reality the very virus sent to him from France the year before. But it gets even better. In 2005, Etienne de Harvin, a Belgian-born pathologist and electron microscopist, stated that all images of particles supposedly representing HIV and published in scientific journals did not come directly from AIDS patients because nobody has successfully extracted one. This is coming from the scientists who presented the first electron micrograph of mouse leukemia virus in 1960. For DeHarvin, there is absolutely no connection between the HIV virus and AIDS when attributing factors to the disease can be found in lifestyle and environmental factors. Also, Luc Montagnier, the HIV virus co-founder from Paris, has since concluded that HIV cannot cause AIDS. So, there's that. 
Another plot point you will want to recall is that Gallo violated very simple and straightforward protocol in the scientific community. There are actually four recognized criteria designed to establish a causative relationship between a microbe and a disease. It is known as Koch's postulates. The postulates were formulated by Robert Koch and Frederick Loeffler in 1884 and then eventually published by Koch in 1890. I will first detail each of his four points and then show precisely how Gallo and the CDC snubbed them in order to push their agenda. The HIV equals AIDS hypothesis fails miserably in light of it. Follow along. Point number one, the microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease, but should not be found in healthy organisms. Point number two, the microorganism must be isolated from a diseased organism and grown in pure culture. Point number three, the cultured microorganism should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism. Point number four, the microorganism must be re-isolated from the inoculated diseased experimental host and identified as being identical to the original specific causative agent. And now I will give a rebuttal. FYI, Gallo loses on every front. Point number one, redo. To establish a virus as a causative agent of a disease, Gallo needed to identify the virus in all cases of the disease. This he was not able to do. Within his own paper dated May 4th, 1984, Gallo could not find the HIV virus in more than half of his AIDS patients. This description alone has all the markings of a hoax. Point number two. The virus must be isolated from a diseased organism, and yet HIV has never once been isolated from a patient. Point number three. The virus, once isolated from the patient, must reproduce within the next healthy person it's injected into. But since the second principle was never once accomplished, then naturally, the third could not be tested. Point number four. The same virus from sick patient A must be now found in the healthy patient B, and yet the second principle could not be followed. Therefore, the third and fourth could not be followed. Actually, come to think about it, not a single principle was followed. By now, you are probably asking what actually causes AIDS, if not HIV. Assuming this is the case, then you are asking the right sort of questions. As I have previously mentioned, Jerome Philip Horwitz was the developer of AZT. Therein is your answer. If the axiom is true that HIV equals AIDS equals death, then Horwitz is somewhat of an Oppenheimer. Sure, fingering AZT as the cause of AIDS is somewhat circular, and the atomic bomb was also a hoax, but work with me here. We have already seen this very scenario materialize in Japan. No, <laughs> not the bomb. It has furthermore been put forward here that AIDS is simply an illusion. There is nothing more to it than a room stuffily lit by a fog machine. AIDS is not a viral disease resulting from a sexually transmitted virus. What people are actually getting sick from is a wide range of diseases, 
essentially a metabolic syndrome force-fed into a single homoerotic narrative. That and chemical ingestion. In my last paper, I told you to take note of poppers, first mentioned as a rumored cause in Larry Kramer's article. Kramer was helping to write a script that focused mostly on misdirection, but even in doing so, he let out some truth. They love to do that. They suggest the very possibility and then later remind you how wrong you were for thinking it. Homosexuals diagnosed as HIV positive and therefore suffering from AIDS were found to be the very sort of drug abusers which might be found in Kramer's novel, Faggots. Poppers double as potent oxidizing agents. What oxidative stress does is it reduces the cell's ability to absorb oxygen. A loss of oxygen in the cell will induce the cell death and then the death of the next cell and the next and so on. Oxidative stress has been identified with a smorgasbord of health conditions, including metabolic syndrome, diabetes type 2, and cancer. This is undoubtedly why Luke Montanier suggested antioxidants for the treatment of AIDS patients. You see, the body requires an adequate level of nitric oxide in order to regulate blood pressure, blood sugar levels, and so on. Nitric oxide, given the right stride, is a defense mechanism. Contrarily, an excessive amount of nitric oxide via chemical ingestion will lead to T-cell depletion, which just so happens to be one of AIDS' defining factors. Also, inflammation, infection, and metabolic syndrome. A butt sex abuser will not produce an excess of nitric oxide. Someone engaged, however, in the activity of nitrite inhalation found in poppers will. A classic symptom of AIDS invokes the following imagery. Prolonged diarrhea, continuous unexplained weight loss, fever, flu symptoms for months on end, pneumonia, and tuberculosis. Consider then that both heroin and cocaine will produce the following side effects, symptoms or diseases. Immunodeficiency, Kaposi sarcoma, candidiasis, pneumonia, lymphadenopathy, tuberculosis, weight loss, dementia, diarrhea, fever. So, drug abuse creates the AIDS illusion. The immune suppressive effects of pharmaceutical drugs, including drugs prescribed for AIDS patients like AZT, as well as chemotherapy, are all known to cause pneumonia, mouth sores, fever, and night sweats. Again, these are the associated medical symptoms for AIDS. Here's how it works. Patients diagnosed as HIV positive are prescribed AIDS pharmaceuticals in order to prolong their life. What happens next? If you say the pharmaceutical will cause immune deficiency, aggravate the symptoms, and furthermore hasten the collapse of their immune system, then you are correct. Good job. You've been following along. Their life is in actuality shortened. It is in no way an exaggeration to conclude that AIDS pharmaceuticals causes AIDS. Here is a list of conditions which are caused by nucleoside analog drugs, AZT, DDL, D4T, and 3TC. 
I'll make sure to highlight for you which of the following conditions are official AIDS-defining illnesses. Anemia, lymphoma, cancer, birth defects, diarrhea, AIDS, dementia, AIDS, fertility impairment, hair loss, headaches, liver damage, loss of appetite, muscle wasting, AIDS, nausea, neuropathy, pancreatitis, pancytopenia, seizures, skin discolorations, spontaneous abortion, and T-cell depletion, AIDS. Another short history lesson will advise you to notice the exchange of herb-based marijuana in the 60s for chemical compounds in the decade of Kramer's Faggots novel. And again remember, it was New York and San Franciscan gays who suddenly came down with AIDS. That is because the CIA was feeding them drugs as part of MKUltra. Diane Feinstein shutting down the bathhouses was making a very pointed truth while ultimately feeding more misdirection. Butt contact didn't kill anyone. Then again, drug abuse is not the only reason why somebody might be diagnosed with HIV. It would do you well to recognize that AIDS patients are kept under strict secrecy. Other illnesses like heart disease or cancer are brought out into the open, but not so with AIDS. They will tell you it's for the purposes of masquerading healthcare insurance, but this is simply how they fudge the numbers, keep the curtain closed and the fraud afloat. What this means is there are many diagnosed with AIDS simply because they showed a positive after taking the blot test while in reality, the virus is far from them. In 1984, the CDC reported that the virus antibody tests could not actually establish whether a person were currently infected by the virus or not. On deeper scrutiny, there are any number of medical conditions which increase the chances of someone being labeled HIV positive for life as a result of the Montanier and Gallows diagnostic tests. The partial list includes acute viral infections, DNA infections, blood transfusions, the flu, hepatitis, and vaccinations. There are actually dozens of potential factors. Other false results arise from malaria and pregnancy. For example, we know that during the flu, our blood sugar rises temporarily, leading to a false diabetes diagnosis. The same can be said of AIDS. Remember how Newt Gingrich wanted everybody tested? Some people simply had the flu and then attempted the blot. Test results were positive. They were marked for life. And among many, AZT finished the job. The wrecking ball takes further aim at the HIV test hoax through the research of Henry Bauer. In 2007, Bauer questioned whether the virus even exists due to the fact that HIV tests are so blatantly inaccurate. Adding to the hysteria is the exaggerated AIDS death statistics perpetrated by the media and pharmaceutical companies. The standard criteria to detect the presence of the virus in a Western blot test is P41 and P24. Protein antigens, which can also be found in the blood platelets of a non-infected healthy individual. What this means is, the presence of the virus has nothing to do with the very marker which defines an AIDS patient. In 1982, the CDC released a list of 12 illnesses which constituted AIDS. These included fungal infections, bacterial infections, viral infections, and cancer. 
1987, the CDC revised that list to a total of 25 AIDS-related diseases, thereby doubling the number of people who were diagnosed with AIDS. Another four would be added in 1992. We are now up to 29 diseases in which, if a patient is also tested positive for HIV, they will be considered an AIDS patient. In the following year, the CDC expanded its definition of AIDS to include people with a T-cell count of 200 or less without any illnesses or symptoms. Quite suddenly, AIDS patients doubled in size. Why do I get the feeling that Big Pharma is conspiring to convert the whole of humanity into AIDS patients? Hopefully by now you're also coming to the same conclusion. It's more than a feeling. My wife has very few, if any, real lasting memories of her mother. This is due to the fact that Becky Carmen Torino Flood died while Sarah and her twin sister were still in kindergarten. Like every other victim of Big Pharma, Becky died of complications due to AIDS. If Becky was removed from Sarah's presence, and she most certainly was, it is only because she was diagnosed with the virus, and there was shame to be found in the discovery. The mere fact that her sickness worsened only cohered and solidified Jerry Fowell's construct with another tyrannical myth of scientism. But as I was saying, Sarah has very few memories of her mother, non-seemingly meaningful. That is not to say she never had meaningful moments with her mother, just none that she remembers. It was perhaps 10 years ago now that we discovered a collection of tapes while cleaning out the house of her aunt who had only recently died. Ironically, her aunt was a doctor and had forbade any public acknowledgement recognizing the condition surrounding Becky's death, even 20 plus years after the fact. And yet, on closer inspection, we had stumbled upon home movies recorded by Sarah's father, and they involved Becky. We sat down together one night and poured through every amassed tape. Unexpectedly, it was as if Becky had come back from the dead, and despite the fact that we were gleaning documentation from the ever-shortening days before she succumbed to sickness, nothing was as either of us had imagined her to be. Video footage will reveal that she was detached, uninvolved. We come upon a scene involving Christmas morning. Twins Sarah and Debbie open their presents under the tree. In the next scene, they're riding their toddler tricycles down and up the sidewalk. We then see them running around the lawn. Their mother can be observed in the background. She is sitting on the front steps, looking cold and isolated. Look, there's your mother again, and she is sad, depressed. Typically, you bring out the camcorder and people improve their behavior for show. And yet, we could not find one piece of footage where she was physically or emotionally embroiled in the situation. Never even a hint of laughter. Then again, all accounts insist that Becky died alone, pleading for anyone to help her. Perhaps she was already sick. The official story is that she contracted AIDS after receiving a blood transfusion in the hospital, delivering the twins. But that is part of the myth the fear porn which was utilized for the benefit and spell casting of Big Pharma. Something as simple as stress, anxiety, or depression can compromise the immune system and result in symptoms identical to AIDS. 
mental stress directs the body to increase production of cortisol, which often causes reduction in T cells. Perhaps this is how she contacted AIDS. That is, the pre-existing condition from which the blot test nabbed her. Or maybe she simply developed a fungal disease. Another myth is that an HIV-positive mother will give birth to an HIV-positive child when in fact an HIV-negative mother may give birth to an HIV-positive child. Viruses are not what they claim them to be. There are so many what-ifs remaining in the intervening decades between now and then, even after viewing that footage. But one thing is quite certain, AIDS did not kill Becky. It was the global lie which murdered her.